Hello and welcome to A History of the United States. Episode 74, Native Americans 14, The Plains. Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you'd like to support the show, remember that you can sign up for our membership series by going to thehistoryofpodcast.com and clicking on the PayPal subscription button. Having spent a few episodes covering the east coast of the United States, today we turn to the interior, and to the plains. We'll do this, of course, with a passage from Alvin Joseph's The Indian Heritage of America. Quote, To many non-Indians, the tribes of the North American plains have become the most familiar of all the Indians of the Americas, although that familiarity is generally based on a stereotype that shows little recognition of the full scope of the history or culture of the various Plains peoples. In historic times, the Plains Indians, living in the broad expanse of the continent's heartland between the Mississippi River and the Rocky Mountains, and from the Saskatchewan River Basin in Canada to central Texas, were dynamic and colourful. Both their culture and history, after white contact, lent themselves to the works of writers and dramatists, who so romanticised the hard-riding, war-bonneted buffalo hunters and warriors of the 19th century, that, in the minds of many persons, they became the image of all American Indians. But some of their material traits of that period that seemed to make them the epitome of all Indians were not Indian at all. The horse and the gun, stock characteristics of the stereotype plained Indians, were acquired from white men. Moreover, the flowering of the equestrian plains life was a late and relatively short-lived phenomenon, occurring only after the arrival of the white men in the New World, and after the whites' destruction of most of the other Indian cultures on both continents. Actually, for more than a thousand years before the coming of the whites, the dominant native peoples of the Eastern Plains were not nomads, but lived in semi-permanent farming villages. Although hunting contributed to their economy, agriculture was the principal source of food. The Plains area consists generally of two types of country, a somewhat humid region of tall grass prairies, roughly east of the 100th meridian, where the rainfall averages from 20 to 40 inches annually, and a drier expanse of short grass high plains, or steppes, farther west, where precipitation averages from 10 to 20 inches a year. In the past, it has been thought that, prior to the introduction of the horse that facilitated pursuit of the buffalo and the maintenance of a buffalo-based economy, which the plains seemed to dictate, Few Indians had occupied either part of the region, and particularly the more arid western plains. But archaeological discoveries in comparatively recent years have shown that men dwelled on the plains, including its dry western reaches, for more than 11,000 years. By the time white men reached the plains in the 16th century, they could observe two distinct subcultures existing in different parts of the area. The first was that of a number of semi-agricultural tribes that lived along the Plains' eastern fringe. In the prairie country of the lower Missouri River Basin were various Siouan-speaking peoples, including the Osages, Missouris, Kansas, Otos, Omahas, Iowas, and Punkaks. Kudoan-speaking 
Arakas and Siouan-speaking Mandas and Hidatsas were north of them on the middle Missouri. Further west in Nebraska were the Pawnees, a confederation of Cadoan peoples who had migrated up the west side of the Mississippi and Missouri rivers, and to the south in Kansas were Cadoan-speaking Wichitas. All of them dwelled in villages practiced agriculture, engaged in hunting, and possessed traits of the nomadic plains tribes farther west as well as of the northeastern and southeastern cultural areas. North of Kansas, their standard dwelling was still the circular earth-covered lodge. Elsewhere, they used grass, skins, or mats as covers. In the north, the palisaded farming villages of eastern mound dwellings of the Mandans, Hidatsas, and Arakasas, built along the bluffs overlooking the Missouri River, often served as trade centres. Nomadic tribes came from the more westerly plains to exchange meat, horses, robes, and other plains articles for agricultural products and for guns that had come from Canadian and Missouri River traders. Special societies flourished in the villages, and the ceremonies and dances were colourful. One of the most dramatic rites was that of the Bull Society of Mandan Indians, which included sequence of dances and acts to propitiate the buffalo. Another group of semi-agricultural peoples also showing numerous woodland traits of the northeast were the Eastern, or Santi, Dakotas of Minnesota. They were a loose federation of the Medwakton, Sistan, Wapekutan, and Wapaton divisions of the Sio that had halted their western migration during the 17th century while in the general region of the Minnesota River. They did some buffalo hunting, but were more dependent on corn, wild rice, and the small game of particularly wooded areas. A Yankton family of Dakotas that had halted its migration when it had reached the Missouri River in the southeastern part of present-day South Dakota had come to resemble more closely the other semi-agricultural tribes of the Eastern Plains. The name Sioux, given by white men to all the different Dakota tribes, was a French-Canadian abbreviation of Nadeau-Wessieux from the Anjou a term for them, Nadawesi, which literally means a small snake or an enemy. In Kansas and on the eastern edge of the southern plains were other horticultural groups, including the Wichitas, who were visited by Con Ronado and his men in 1541. Nomadic tribes from farther west came into trade at the Wichita settlements, much as the more Northernly nomadic tribes traded at the villages of the Mandas, Hidatsas, and Arikas. The second large subculture of the plains area was comprised of the tribes that dwelled west of the semi-agricultural groups and provided the typical enduring image of the plains Indians. They were the nomadic, horse-mounted peoples whose economy was based almost entirely of the products of the buffalo, who used berries and roots, but who practiced no agriculture and did little fishing. 
Between the Saskatchewan River and the upper basin of the Missouri was the Blackfoot Confederacy, composed of the Siksikas, or Blackfeet proper, the Pygans, and the Bloods, all of whom spoke the same variant of the Algonquian language. North of them, in Canada, were the Athapascan-speaking Sarkis, who, in later years, allied themselves with the Blackfeet. To the east were other allies, the Algonquin-speaking Atsinas, whom the French traders called Gros Ventres, or Big Bellies. The same name they applied also to the Hidatsas of the Missouri River. Roaming southeastwardly of the Atsinas were the Siouan-speaking Asin Bonnies, who had migrated westward from their Dakota relatives in northern Minnesota. Between the Missouri and Yellowstone rivers were the Sioux and Crows, who had separated from the Hidatsas in the 18th century after a fight over a buffalo. The Crows were in two divisions, referred to as the River and the Mountain Crows, the latter often being found farther south and west in the basins of the Bighorn and Wind Rivers of Wyoming. In the western parts of South Dakota and Nebraska, but eventually extending their movements over large parts of Montana and Wyoming, were the westernmost Sioux group, the powerful Teton Dakotas, including the Oglala Brule, Hunkpapa, Miniconju, Two Kettles, Sanark, meaning no bow, and Sihasapa tribes. The Algonquian Cheyennes, who had preceded the Tetons onto the plains in a migration from Minnesota, had crossed the Missouri and, after much wandering, had divided into two groups, the northern Chenes, roaming generally through the upper basin of the North Plate River, and the southern Chenes along the upper Arkansas River. Between them, in eastern Colorado, were the Arapahos, also Algonquin speakers, who had separated from the Atsnas and migrated south from Canada. In the southern plains, from the Arkansas River into Texas, were the Comanches, Kiowas, and Kiowa Apaches, members respectively of the Shoshonean, Kiowan, and Athapascan language families who possessed some of the traits of the nearby southwest cultural area. Other tribes that shared many plains traits and who often appeared on the plains to hunt buffalo and conduct frequent raids frequented the southern and western fringes of the region. In the south they included the Lipans, and in the west the Shoshones, whom whites sometimes refer to as snakes, Utes, Mescarero, and Chicoria Apaches, and even Bannocks, Flatheads, and Nez Perche, who lived far to the west beyond the Continental Divide. End quote. Our understanding of the region's history starts about 11,000 years ago, when we first become aware of people living there. This was a hunting culture which targeted the big game animals that found their homes on the plains, such as bison and mammoths. We can detect this because of the types of artifacts we have discovered. These include projectile points, scraping tools, 
items used for stone cutting and bone objects. The region was greatly affected by a change in climate which occurred between 7,000 and 4,500 years ago. The region became much hotter and drier, which forced many of the large game animals to leave. They went to the mountain valleys in the west, or to the wetter grasslands in the north and east. This peaked in the 4th millennium BC. With the absence of the large game animals, the peoples left behind were forced to adapt. They turned towards an intense gathering culture with some elements of hunting smaller animals. This is how things worked for about two and a half thousand years. From 2500 BC, the climate changed and the plains area began to repopulate. Things continued as they had done for a few more thousand years, but gradually the plains started to be influenced by the cultures to the east, such as the mound building, the woodland cultures, and ultimately the Hopwellian culture. Between AD 200 and 400, we can detect fairly advanced villages around Kansas City, in eastern Kansas and northeastern Oklahoma. We can detect the Hopwellian influence because of remnants of corn and beans, as well as storage pits. This shows that agriculture had entered the region. We can also see other items which indicate that the region was part of the Hopwellian trade network. By AD 500, this had become something that we turn the Plains Woodland period, but it didn't last for a particularly long time. By AD 800, it was entering decline and disappeared by the year 1000. There were several reasons for this. The region was greatly influenced by the Mississippian culture, and a more settled way of life spread across the whole region, from Texas in the south, all the way to Minnesota in the north. It was strongly agricultural. Farming communities lived along watercourses. The crops they grew were corn, beans, squash, and sunflowers. Women usually did this while the men went on hunting parties. The more westerly of these settlements started to be abandoned around the year 1500, but we don't know why. It might have been because of warfare, or because of changing weather patterns. They returned to a more nomadic existence. In contrast to this, the population further east became more settled. The cultures of the plains were heavily influenced by the east, including their use of pottery and their structure of society, which was not dissimilar to the Iroquoian Creeks. Religious structures, including the use of shamans, were also similar, although with some differences. The Pawnee tribe had a sun cult and a star cult, for example. Clothing was made of things which could be collected from animals, such as furs. They had elaborate feathered headdresses to show off their skills in war. The nomadic tribes of the plains used to follow the buffalo on foot, but this changed following the acquisition of the horse. That, along with the gun, allowed them to travel and hunt much more efficiently. They allowed people to connect more than had previously been possible, and the culture became much richer. Horses originally made their way north from Mexico, where they had been kept by the Spanish, but by the middle of the 17th century, so the point we're in in the main narrative, the Apaches and Utes were committing regular raids for the animals, 
they were ubiquitous in the region by the 1740s. We'll have a lot more to say about these tribes later, but I don't want to get too far into the history of these tribes in the 17th and 18th centuries. We'll have more to say about that and these tribes further on in the narrative. We'll continue our westward travels in our next episode, when we get into the two zones that characterised native life in the Rockies, the Great Basin and the Plateau. We'll also include a look at California, which will round up our coverage of the Native Americans. In four weeks, we'll be back to the main narrative. If you've enjoyed today's episode, remember you can find out more information online. You can find our website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, which is everything all in one place. Links to extra information, how to support the podcast, and to our social media, at HistoryJamie on Twitter and Facebook.com forward slash the History of Podcast. You can also send me an email, thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com, if you have any comments or questions. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.